Today's going to be hard. It's going to be some uh, heavy lifting for your faith. And I'm going to start with a question. Who is the worst person you have ever met? Just thinking about that question, maybe it's somebody that you met only for a moment and yet that was enough time for you to form that opinion, worst person ever. Maybe it's somebody who's been a part of your life actually for a long time. And I know that this question might actually be deeply personal and it might actually be deeply painful as well. I don't really intend that. But I know that the truth of the matter is there are people in this world who do evil, are evil. There maybe have been people in your own life who have done evil to you. Who is the worst person you have ever met? And however you might measure that, however you might define that, maybe for you it's the way that they treat others just consistently, the the lack of respect and decency that they have for human dignity as a whole. Maybe it's the myriad of ways in which their selfishness and self-centeredness just shines through every single day. Who is the worst person you've ever met? And now that you have them in your mind and in your head, here's the heavy part. Do you pray for that person? Do you hope to see that person in the kingdom of heaven? Now, whoever you had in your mind... Whoever you might have nominated for the worst person ever, Manasseh would have beat them out for that title by a long shot. Manasseh is the king of Judah that we're going to take a look at today, and we hear his story in 2 Kings chapter 21. That's where we're first introduced to him, and this is what we hear at the very beginning. Manasseh was... 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Manasseh actually had one of the longest rules of any king of Judah or Israel, 55 long years, and he started it at a very early age. His father was Hezekiah, who was a king who did it right, followed the Lord and served him So we're not exactly sure what happened with Manasseh, his son. We do know that it's probably wise not to give absolute power and freedom into the hands of a teenager. No offense to any of you who are in that age bracket here this morning, but teenagers are notorious for doing really dumb things. Again, no offense. But there's actually, there's a medical kind of psychological reason for that. 
Uh, I found an article this week that was titled, Why Smart Teenagers Do Dumb Things. And Ashton Taylor, who is a child and adolescent psychologist at the Henry Ford Center in Novi, Michigan, he says this, he talks about how part of an adolescent's brain, the the prefrontal cortex, it isn't fully developed. In fact, it doesn't fully develop until age 25. And it's that part of your brain that is really important for controlling impulses and impulse actions. And so it helps us to make better decisions. So maybe modern psychology, modern medicine, maybe that can help us understand a little bit about our own teens and their thought processes and maybe it helps us understand a little bit about Manasseh, but it probably doesn't fully explain the deep dive that he took into all kinds of evil. The laundry list of his actions, it's shocking. Listen to what made Manasseh likely the worst king of Israel's entire history. This starts in verse 2. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out. Verse 3, he bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. And then jump ahead to verse 6. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. Practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. Now, Manasseh's acts of evil are extraordinary. It's clear that he had completely removed the Lord from his heart, and in that vacuum, he filled it with grave evil. Sacrificed his own son. He dove into divination, sorcery, black magic. He opened himself up to the occult. He invited (laughs) Satan and the spiritual forces of evil that are in this world to step right into his heart. sought out these, these omens, these signs. He, he talked to people, mediums and spiritists, those who claimed that they could communicate with people long dead. And in this act of rebellion and defiance, he reconstructed the very idols and altars that his father had torn down. But that rebellion and defiance, it wasn't just aimed at his father. It was also aimed at the God whom his father had served and worshipped. Manasseh actually brought those idols and their altars right into the temple of the Lord. The historian writes in verse 7, He took the carved Asherah pole that he had made and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Manasseh used that Asherah pole as a giant, very vulgar, very crude 
defiant gesture to God himself. He was saying to God, you have no claim over my life or my kingdom. Manasseh would have gladly taken the title. He would have been proud to wear the title chief of sinners. And his evil continues, verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Manasseh cared very little about others. He cared very little about the decency and the dignity of human life. And he cared very little about God. But God cared deeply. And God was righteously offended by Manasseh's actions. He was indignant and he was full of wrath. And so he brought the hammer of justice down upon Manasseh and his kingdom. He declared the punishment that he would bring through his prophets. Verse 12, God says, I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes out a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Yes! Right? Like we cheer on God. Bring the hammer. Bring the pain. Bring the punishment. Someone as wicked and as evil as that surely deserves to be destroyed. And maybe you think, I wish God would act a little more like that today. Would you have prayed for Manasseh? Would you have hoped to see Manasseh in the kingdom of heaven? But when we think that way, are we using the same measurements? Are we measuring ourselves the same way in which we are measuring others? And God there, he talked about his measuring line. He talked about his, his plumb line. Does anyone here know what a plumb line is? I'm going to be very impressed. Some of you do. Okay, you're all smarter than me. Because I didn't know what a plumb line was until this week. But a plumb line is basically a, a string. You take a string and you put a, a, a heavy weight on the bottom of that string. Usually it's got a pointed tip. And so then when you hold that string up and you drop down that weight and it let gravity do its work, and then eventually the string's going to stop moving, and then what you have is a perfectly straight line, and it is perfectly plumb which means that it is perfectly perpendicular to the horizon. So I know what level is. 
that's horizontal. Plum is vertical. And then if everything lines up, it's all true and right. As we look out into the world and we use a plumb line to measure other people, see if they're standing true. You know, objectively, we, we can look out and, and we can see that there are people out there who are evil and they perpetrate evil. They do wrong. And of course, objectively, there are varying degrees of moral deficiency that we can see. The, the lack of righteousness from one person to another. And so it's very easy for us to measure them and make our judgments. But that's when, that's when we're holding that plumb line. But when God brings out his measuring line, and, and when God's holding the plumb line up in the very heights of heaven— a plumb line of holiness and righteousness, then for any of us to stand up to that and to measure up to that and be right and true and plumb and level with God's standards demands absolute perfection. Absolute holiness. There can't be any part of your life that is bent or, or broken or, or crooked or leaning one way You have to be perfectly plumb with that measuring line that God uses. And we know that with that measurement, with, with God's plumb line, none of us can stand right and true with it. And so to measure ourselves with God's measurement is essential. It's essential so that we don't walk around and act like hypocrites. It's essential for us to understand the true grace and mercy of our God. Because in spite of any evil that might be in your life, God still cares for you. And in spite of the evil that was in Manasseh's life, God still cared for him. Even though Manasseh had removed the Lord from his heart and, and there was that vacuum into which came all sorts of evil, God still cared. And the worst person ever that you thought of in your head before, God still cared and still cares about them. that demonstrates to us God's incredible grace. It's the amazing thing about the God of the Bible and the reason that we would never want to remove that God from our hearts is because the God of the Bible can be at the same exact time full of righteous, indignant wrath and also passionate, overwhelming love. And so God sent punishment, but he punished with a purpose. We don't have the rest of Manasseh's story in 2 Kings. 
Second Chronicles is another biblical book that covers the same time span of history. And there in chapter 33, we find the rest of Manasseh's story. Punishment did come. It came in the form of the Assyrians and their army. And they attacked Jerusalem and they captured Manasseh, bound him, deported him, took him to Assyria. Likely, he was humiliated beaten and tortured. We know for sure that they took a giant hook and pierced his nose with it. A very gruesome, clear, and excruciating example that he was no longer in control of his own life, but he was their slave. And it was in that darkest moment of Manasseh's life that he gave up his defiance and rebellion. And he turned to the Lord. He cried out in desperation to God, and God heard his cry. God delivered him. The amazing power of God's word is that it can reach the most defiant of hearts. The amazing power of God's word is that it can change even the most rebellious of hearts. And the power of God's grace means that he pours out his mercy. God chose to pour out his mercy on Manasseh. And God has chosen to pour out his mercy on you. And God desires to pour out his mercy on that worst person ever that you had thought of in your minds. The sublime truth of the gospel is what separates the God of the Bible from anything else that we might fill our hearts and our lives with because God sent a Savior. He sent Jesus, his own son. And Jesus came, yes, Jesus came for Manasseh. And yes, Jesus came for your worst person ever. And Jesus also came for you. Well, think of the best person that you've ever met. Uh, Think of somebody who is filled with, with so much compassion for others, always demonstrating love, always acting in service for the needs of others, and, and someone who always speaks the clearest truth. Who did you think of? Do you know who I thought of? Jesus. Jesus was the best person ever. Jesus always did what was right. He, he could stand next to that plumb line that God was holding in the heights of heavens, the plumb line of holiness and righteousness, and Jesus could stand right and true to it. He was holy. 
He had life, life eternal. He had glory and power and honor, and yet he gave it all up. He willingly laid aside that life, and he went to the cross where he was pierced. where he was sacrificed for your sins and for forgiveness to pour out his mercy upon you. And it was his blood that was shed, his innocent blood that was shed and filled the world from one end to the other to cover over all the sins, all the evil, all the wickedness of every single person, including you to guarantee you your forgiveness. And Jesus did all of that out of love and concern for you. He did all of that in the hopes and the desire that someone like Manasseh, someone like your worst person ever, that they could be in the kingdom of heaven. That is the sublime truth of the gospel. And as we think about our own hearts and our own religion, we can't remove that and and reconstruct something else because it's only this gospel that truly saves. The gospel is so spectacular. Don't remove it from your hearts. When I asked you to think of the worst person ever. Your thought process might have went one of two ways. And either of them, those thoughts that we might have with that question, really both highlight just how easy it is for us to construct our own religion, just how easy it is for us to remove the Lord, to remove the gospel from our hearts. It's the very reason why the Apostle Paul gave such a strong, sharp warning to those early Christians in Galatia when he said, even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim, preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under a curse. And he didn't just say it once, he said it twice to emphasize that point because the gospel is so special. The gospel of Jesus is so spectacular that we need to cling and hold on to it and it alone. But when I asked you that question about the worst person ever, you might have been tempted to replace the gospel with self-righteousness. You might have thought about that person and you might have said in your own mind and in your own heart, yeah, I'm really pretty good because I'm not that person. I'm not that crook, that murderer. I'm not my neighbor. I'm not the lady that works in the office next to me. And self-righteousness can start to build in our hearts. We might compare ourselves to others. That's one way self-righteousness can come in. We might fill our 
hearts with this self-righteousness that thinks that it's my right steps, my right decisions, my right actions that are the reason that God loves me. It's self-righteousness. It, it might come out in the, in the way that we force others and we talk about the, the right way to worship God, the right way to thank Jesus, the right way to serve him, the right way to be a witness. And in all of our right way antics, we might actually lose the gospel, grace and mercy in Christ. So let's not replace the gospel with self-righteousness. But for some of you, your thought process went in another direction. And when I asked you to think of the worst person ever, you maybe didn't have to think too hard. And you maybe didn't look too far. Maybe your thoughts turned inwardly. And maybe you remembered all the guilt that you feel over all the mistakes that you've made in your life and all the ways that you've hurt other people and caused them pain. And maybe you started to think that there's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could care about me and who I've been. There's no way that God would want to save me. And maybe you were tempted to replace the gospel with despair. Maybe you were allowing the devil to bring his lies right into your heart and to fill the vacuum with his accusations. But God speaks truth. And when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. He meant your salvation and your forgiveness. When he shed his blood, he covered over all your guilt so that you are free and you are forgiven. That's the truth of the gospel. And so let's not replace the gospel with despair, but let's hold on to that sublime truth. And as Christians in our lives, we're going to kind of bounce back and forth between those two thoughts, self-righteousness and despair. But let's encourage one another always to hold on to the truth of the gospel, of grace and mercy and the forgiveness that God has shown that he shows even to someone like Manasseh. That he has shown to you. And when and if you meet a person who is just the worst, let's hold on to the gospel as we also pray for them. As we pray that they might one day be in the kingdom of heaven, and we pray that God might intersect their hearts and their lives with his gospel truth, 
and that somehow, some way, God would lead them to turn to him. And then let's pray that when they are in their darkest hour, when they have realized that they can't depend upon themselves or anything else in this world that they have held to, that they have trusted in, when they cry out in desperation, let's pray that God would put us right there, right in front of them, to proclaim to them this sublime truth of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, who died and rose to forgive them and to forgive you. Let's hold on to that truth. And all God's people said, Amen.